We have a great show for you, one of our best. We have a classic movie with Tom Hanks's 1996 That Thing You Do, and we have a classic guy with Joaquin Figueroa from Insensitive Culture. He's my guest today. They're part of the DFAT Network, so go check them out on their page. Listen to their podcast. Uh, you'll find a link in the description below. Also, check out Ridley's Gaming Realm. They have received a lot of positive feedback from you guys since they signed on with us. So thank you so much and make sure you keep that up. Let them know that you heard of them from us. I just purchased Primal Fear for Super Nintendo for a super cheap price. They have everything. But without further ado, without further delays, stays, or laser rays, on with the show. thank you so much for being on i I appreciate it yeah no problem thank you for having me on man it's uh it's it's awesome i i love uh i love talking movies i i do too i'm a huge movie fan i'm anxious to hear kind of uh your movie background and and definitely want to know why you picked this movie but um this is also pretty dope just to highlight you know dfat and how being a part of this network has opened up so many other opportunities at least for me and my show um, you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying meeting new people and kind of getting uh, new guests on the show. So, so thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course, man. As soon as you, you ask anybody, Hey, would you be down? I'm always down to come on <laughs> other shows and I love to talk, man. That's what, that's why we're in this. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Absolutely. So you picked that thing you do, which was a very unique pick. I got to hear it. Why, why did you pick this? And, and what is it about movies that you love so much? So um, the reason why I chose this is, again, possibly the same real reason why I enjoy movies so much, right? Uh, when when I think of movies, I think of my childhood and my father's love of movies forever, like since I could as far back as I can remember. Um, and And so his love for it spilled over onto me because he would have me watch all kinds of movies. And um, I selected that thing you do because it was one of the movies that really stood out to me that I enjoyed as a kid um, that was fun. Um, and 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 I, I, I didn't even understand why I enjoyed it back in those days either. <laughs> uh, but but now looking back and watching it again, I, I, I realized like I am a huge sucker for movies of the underdog, right? That one shot, that, that little switch that if, if it didn't quite go that way, none of it would have panned out. Um, and, and those, that feeling, uh, in certain movies where when they get that moment of like, Oh my God, my life is changing. I am a sucker for those types of movies and that overwhelming feeling of happiness and joy when people are jumping around and they, they finally made it to that point and I get all choked up. So, um, and, and that's one of the earlier movies that really gave me that feeling. So yeah, yeah just kind that, of, that's very well put. I mean, I, I didn't really look at it like that, but this movie is very serendipitous. It is, it is the stars aligning in just the right way. Uh, and, and I want to come back to that later, especially when we get more into, you know, whether or not we like the movie. Um, similar kind of background for me. My love for movies really did start at a young age. I remember, um, you know, movie night in my household was always a big thing and it happened quite often. So uh, for the good and for the bad, I, I've talked previously on the show how my father thought it was appropriate at like seven to let me watch Poltergeist and stuff like that. But I mean, that was it was definitely a, a memory I look back on with with humor now. Um I had never seen this movie before. This is from 1996 is when it came out and it stars um, Tom Everett Scott. It's actually his film debut, his first oh, movie awesome. ever. He plays Guy, um, who I would say is pretty much the main person in the movie. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of co-stars um, that are going you know, to share a lot of the same screen time, but he's he's where our focus is. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. And um, and also I, I, I remember again, because my father like knew certain actors. And so there were names that were just constantly being repeated. I knew who Tom Hanks was and I've seen his movies big. Um, and, and I remember hearing that he, that not only is he in it, but he wrote and directed it himself. So 
I was like, yeah, I have to watch this movie. And my father was the same, dude. I, I remember, I can't even remember how old I was, but I remember my father telling me that I have to watch Scarface. I have to watch <laughs> The Godfather. Like these are musts, must-sees for me. He doesn't care about anything else. And uh, I was very, very young when I was exposed to those movies. Yeah, I, I remember I used to work at a pizzeria um, and I got the job when I was 12 years old. And so, I mean, not 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 like a child, but still a kid. And uh, I remember talking movies with one of the guys that worked there. The guy had to be like 40 years old. And he's like, if you like movies, you've got to see, you know, Apocalypse Now. And you've got to see, you know, like, uh, um, what's the other? There's another Vietnam one around the same time. And, you know, the Dirty Dozen. Like, he's naming off these movies that a 12-year-old probably should not be watching. And yeah, for some reason, my mom let me get them from Blockbuster. Yeah, it was Platoon, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, my mom let me run it from Blockbuster. So I'm watching these movies at 12 and they're, I, I don't think they're good movies, but I'm appreciating the camera angles and the cinematography and stuff like that. So yeah. that's, that's crazy that that sort of, um, you know, exposure when you're young really does develop into some love when you get older. There's a, there's nostalgia there. I think there is, there is. Um, and, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that, like the, the, the camera angles and those are, there, there was a lot of, we, um, there's a lot of movies that you can't, even at a young age, you don't know why, but you just feel like this just feels so beautiful. And, and I remember feeling that. And, um, also, uh, you know, it, it movies took me to a whole different place. I felt like I was, um, you know, like uh, I've always felt like I was meant for more. That was the mm-hmm. feeling I've my entire life, which is, you know, why I enjoy those types of movies. But uh, it was just like a moment in time where I didn't have to be myself. I'm just lost in this in this vision. Uh, and I remember that, like the camera angles, every little every little nuance and that, that has to do with movies. Um, and it's a little bit of a tangent here, but um, also uh, <laughs> another real big reason because this is one of the movies that we used to back in the day for you know for your young listeners we didn't get it we didn't have the chance to really scroll through uh you know through apps and and movies and things of that sort right you just scroll through the channels and whatever was there was there (laughs) this was this was also one of the movies that that would just come on and you you would just catch it because for whatever reason, it just struck your, you know, it just like, like just struck you. And I'm, I'm going to give this a chance and you watch it and you love it forever. And it's probably a movie that you would skip over time and time again uh, when just scrolling through, you know, through an app like Netflix or something. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, so there, there's a good point there. Uh, the rating for this movie is PG. Uh, it got PG because it had some language. And mm. what I find funny is the some language is they say the word asshole once. Which uh-huh. is so, it's so picture perfect, something you already touched on. Uh, Tom Hanks wrote and directed and stars in this film. Tom Hanks is kind of a Boy Scout. At this point in his career, he is on a run. Everything he touches is gold. And uh, he says on an episode of Inside the Actor Studio, I'm not sure, are you familiar with Inside the Actor Studio? I am, yeah. I love, I absolutely love Inside the Actor Studio. It is a great show on the Bravo Network. It was hosted by James Lipton. Um, uh, sadly, he passed away last year. So I don't know if they're going to continue it with somebody else or not. But uh, I kind of hope they do. But James mm-hmm. Lipton, I mean, n- nobody's replacing him. But but anyway, so he's on, uh, Tom Hanks is on that. And he says, and I quote, um, I'm a, he tells the studio executive when he wants to do this movie, I'm a big honking star and you have to let me do this because I want to. And to which the studio exec replied, you're absolutely right. And that's the story that Tom Hanks gives about how he can get this movie made. Because he's in between Toy Story in 95, this Mm. comes out in 96, and the next big one is Saving Private Ryan in 98. And he's just, he's nonstop. He's on fire. Yeah. And you know what? And in my opinion, this shows why, like, why he was on fire. He, um, the the movie, and again, I, you know, I was, I I, I saw it uh, again because we were going to talk about it. And, so many things that I missed as a kid and over the years when I would, when I would watch this movie that I picked up and like we were, I was talking about it with the guys and I was just bringing it up just like 
because I, I told them that we were going to be discussing this and they were like, man, I can't, I, I've been singing that song in my head for three days and I haven't <laughs> even seen the movie. Um, and, you know, I haven't seen the movie in over 10 years and, uh, uh, and it just has that, that thing, you know, it, it, and, um, all of the actors that were in there too, so young, they look so young, uh, from, you know, Charlize Theron to Brian Cranston. We saw young Colin Hanks, uh, as the usher in one point, um, it, it was just blowing me away that I haven't seen this movie in so long yet. It was the first, it was like when I really sat down and I thought, what movie, like there are so many movies. And the second that I saw that I thought that thing you do, um, I couldn't let it go. Couldn't yeah. I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right. There's so many stars in this movie. Um, it, it's it's tagline is in every life there comes a time when that dream you dream becomes that thing you do i mean you touched on the song the, the, the title song for this reached number 41 on the billboard top 100 which was crazy it was nominated for a golden globe and an academy award it, it's this song was a huge hit and that obviously leads to you know the movie becoming a, a bit of a cult classic yeah. Oh, the, 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 that's one thousand percent true. And and um, one of the awesome things that they highlighted in that movie about that song was how different it was initially. I, I don't know if we're going to get in depth into um, you know details of the movie, but um, just how it came about. Like they had a completely different person. Uh, you know, the stars aligned. He breaks his arm. Um, you know, they ask guy. Like, hey, would you mind just because he knows how to play the drums and, you know, and he's good at it. And his decision very last second on stage to just switch the tempo. That decision is what, what essentially huge. Gave that 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 thing. They, it just gave him that break. And Absolutely. it's all of those things that lead up to this one point that like, man, that's. That's what I, I, now that I think about it, like, you know, that's what I strive for. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, so, so you hit the nail right in the head. So the movie starts off and we got a guy is, is aspiring jazz drummer. Um, and he's has nothing to do with this band that is apparently, you know, made up of a couple guys that he knows their drummer breaks his arm in a freak accident. So they ask guy, will you fill in? Um, we just got to, we're doing this contest, this, this sort of, uh, you know, bracket type thing that they, oh, that's another thing. They go by the name of the wonders, but they spell it O N E. So everybody pronounces it as the O-Neaters or something like that. Eaters, Yeah. Which was great during like the whole first half of the movie. Oh yeah. So he changes the tempo. Are you a music fan as well? I, I, I used to listen to a lot more music, um, back in the day, but I've, I've fallen off because I, I can't, I can't do both. I can't do music and podcasts all the time. <laughs> so yeah, I chose sure. podcasts, you know? Um, but, but, but no, uh, but, but yeah, it was just that it's just such a wonderful tone. They, they sing it so well. And, um, man, it, it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it though. <laughs> what I, what I thought was crazy is this poor drummer, who, who breaks his arm and misses this opportunity because what ends up happening is the song becomes popular. They play it at this event, becomes popular, and they play it a few more times because it's requested. And somebody in the audience is like, hey, you should put this on an album. Like we should, which is great because this is an album decade. This movie takes place in 1960s. So we have TVs with antennas. We have, they had, they showed a, a scene of a dishwasher being hooked up to the sink, which was great because I had one of those growing up. It was, it was so nostalgic to see that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, you said you feel bad for that for that drummer for, for breaking his arm. But in all honesty, if he would have made it that night, that would have been the end of it. They would have played right. it. They would have, you know, that more than likely, right. Because, um, because it was the up-tempo that, you know, beat to it that everyone really enjoyed. Um, so it wouldn't have even happened. And that's what I said. It's like the stars aligned, like why were they doing what they were doing? You know, they were, what were they doing? They were hopping meters just for fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and he falls and breaks his arm. 
Yeah, he falls and breaks his arm like just before. Like it was, it's it's definitely like the stars aligned and and um and him being an a, an aspiring uh you know jazz drummer, like everything just kind of fell into place uh before it fell apart and then you know but but even when things fall apart, it's still falling into place. So right. So so they end up recording the song on a forty five and they start selling them at their shows. Um, this guy gets a hold of it. Uh, Phil Horace, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He is a local talent promoter and he gets them on the radio. He, they sign, they sign a small little rinky dink contract. He gets them on the radio, gets some airtime and they're freaking out. You know, they're on the radio and why wouldn't they be? This is a, a cool thing that's happening. Even just to be on the local radio. I mean, that's gotta be a feat in itself. Dude, but it, as, as, a, as a grown man, not to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. As a grown man, I, I watched that scene again when everyone is just screaming because it's on the radio and they're just living their normal lives. He's in he's working for his dad in the store and they're screaming, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, dude, that I, I swear, man, I, I I almost broke down here in the studio as I'm <laughs> as I was watching it. Uh, I was just like, man, that like that, though, that's the moment that I look for. That is the moment that I look for in these types of movies. And, and you get it so early on and it's. Ah, oh, that's such a good feeling, man. I, you know, it's, it's what I stand for. I, I, I hear you. And what's funny about this is, um, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil my, my view on the movie, but everything that you're saying that made you fall in love with the movie were things I think that held me back from loving it. And, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, again, we've, we've talked before on the show about how, you know, whether or not you like a movie is completely yeah. your own opinion. I mean, some people will watch movies and will get lost in them while others can pick them apart for, you know, not being realistic or whatever. Right. Um, for me personally, there wasn't a lot of conflict in this movie. It really was like the stars aligned and there was a perfect path. Now we do start getting some conflict early on and it's, it's guy is the jazz drummer he has a girlfriend, his girlfriend, Charlize Theron, who, by the way, was the first person to audition and was the first person to be cast in the movie. This is oh, early she, on in her career. She's not a movie star at this point. And I, when I saw that, I was I was blown away because I, I didn't remember that that was Charlize Theron. So isn't that crazy? It was. I, I didn't even know she was in this movie. But yeah, it's she does a good job. I think she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, but she does a good job. Oh, she does great. She looks, uh, she looks the part. And that's what I was thinking too. It's like for the sixties, I know that they do hair and makeup and everything. Uh, but everyone just looked the part and her, with her with the hair and everything. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. even doubt it if you saw a black and white photo of her at some point, <laughs> you know, but like, Oh yeah, no, that's, that's legit. The other, um, to so the lead singer of the band, Jimmy, he is dating Liv Tyler. Mm-hmm. One of her first early on acting roles. She's obviously in uh, Empire Records around this time, and mm-hmm. then goes on to be in Lord of the Rings and become a huge movie star. But she's relatively young early on in her career, so I got vibes pretty early on that uh, Liv's character and Guy were into each other. They seem to be flirting, very innocent flirting, but they seem to be flirting pretty early on in the movie. Would you agree? Uh, I, I think it feels that it feels that way. Um, but I think that both of them were just genuinely good people. Right. And, and it was, and it almost was inevitable for them to, uh, to end up together. Um, but as I, as I was watching, I was paying attention to see if there was like a chemistry and there was, but I don't think either one of them were aware of it because he was so into Charlize Theron and, and she was so into Jimmy that, Mm -hmm that they ignored or, or they didn't really catch on to the vibes that they had with each other because they were just overwhelmingly good people. Like he, throughout the movie, he's checking up on her, thinking about her because, and and his, even his point of view of, um, uh, you know, of her involvement in everything that's going on was, was just him being himself and thinking of, of everyone. Um, every little piece of it. And then that's where the realization I think ended up coming in. So I, 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 for me, it didn't feel like they, they were like fighting this and like this magnet, this animalistic, Mm -hmm. uh, magnetism to each other. It was more so that they were just two wonderful people that then realized that they deserve another wonderful person in their life. And, and it just kind of like 
snap. You, you, you may them. be convincing me. I mean, that you're, <laughs> I think you're a hundred percent right. They, what, what I'm construing is kind of like subtle flirting. I think you're right. It's just two just genuinely good people who just recognize another good person in front of them, which is awesome. And the idea that they, they deserve each other because they're such genuinely good people is, is almost poetic to think of. I do have a question for you though, though, based on that, do you think guy had this kind of master plan when he changed the tempo of the song? Do you think he knows what he's doing in making that a better song? And, you know, he pushes the guys that record the 45. He, do you think he he has the master plan that he's going to take this band and make something out of them? I don't think that he has the master plan. I think that uh, as as he stated in the movie, I think he was just going on instincts. He knows music. He knows tempos and sounds. And I think he was, even though they have a band, um, I think that, and, and it was pretty evident to everyone else too, because they were really making him the centerpiece of the band, you, you know? Um mm-hmm. And uh, but I don't think that he really knew where it was going to go or that he had like this this idea to take over the band. I think he was trying to have fun. They gave him the song. The tempo seemed like you can even see it in his hand movements, like what he was doing. It was just very, you know, just Mm -hmm. like the slow pace. He, He didn't look like he was having fun at all. And I think that uh, that it was his his instinct to to have fun with it. Um, I don't think that he knew where it was going to take him. And sometimes we don't know where anything takes us. We just take a leap of faith. We do something. If it hurts us, you know, whatever. It didn't really hurt that bad. You know, we're, we're yeah. still at, uh, you know, we're still at um, the, the first stage of, you know, or where we were before. But uh, but if it really knocks it out of the park, man, we just keep it going. So to answer your question, I, I don't think he knew what he was doing other than I want to have fun. Right. So, so here's, here's my take on that. Mm-hmm. I think that guy, I agree with you. I don't think he knew what he was doing, but I think when you look at celebrities, when you look at somebody who is good at their profession, uh, especially in a public, you know, in the public eye, like celebrities, musicians, stuff like that. Um, you, I think you get two different types. I think you get the types that, that force it, the ones who have learned how to craft this and, you know, through years of, of learning can, can replicate it and can, and can boost their career that way. And I think the other type are people that it just comes naturally to them. They never had to learn anything. They never had to study anything. They are just naturally good at acting or performing or, or being a musician. It's a, it's a talent that they're born with. And I think somebody like Guy I think that's what it was. I think it was just natural talent that allowed him to say, no, I'm going to change the tempo here or no, we should be selling 45s if we want to get better. And I think the other character in this movie that shares that is Mr. White. Um, So he's the one that he ends up getting hooked up with the band through Phil, through their, their local rep. And he takes them to a, you know, Playstone records, which is where he works, excuse me, play, play tone records and makes them something makes them huge. Yeah. This is Tom Hanks character. What did tell me what your thoughts on Mr. White are? Um, I think, I, I think that he, he knew all along, like his, his intuition on a lot of things were on point. He, he saw early on that, um, you know, that, that guy was the guy, like he, he was, he, and he says it, you know, he says that at the end, um, that he, he always knew he was the smart one. So he knew uh, before Guy even knew, you know, how that, I, I believe, how it was going to play out. He knew gives everyone's... Him, gives him the sunglasses. Yep, gives him the sunglasses, gives him... And because he knows that, you know, with this being the smartest guy, we're going to make you stand out, yeah. you know? So, so and that's exactly what they did. Um, so, so he definitely knew what he was doing. He knew what was going on. And, um, yeah, he, he had the intuition the whole time, even with, with, uh, Gus and, uh, uh, with Guy and Faye, I keep wanting to call him Gus, uh, with Guy and Faye the entire time, like you would hear him say like, Hey, he, he asked Faye at one point, like, Hey, what's, uh, how long have you and Jimmy been together? Two and a right. half years. She's like, that's a long time. He's like, Oh, wow. And then, and then he goes, what about, uh, what about Guy? How's he, uh, you know, what's his situation back home? Oh, you know, because he yeah. saw it. 
he saw it come in. He saw the, you know, how they were, how they both interacted with each other. And he saw the genuineness of both of them. Um, so I think he was also trying to, uh, you know, kind of push everything in a specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone had any kind of control over what was going to happen or knew what was going to happen, I think it was him. So one thing I, I, I got to ask you, and I probably should have asked this in the beginning, which version of the movie did you watch? I watched the director's cut. Okay. So there is an extended, so I believe the director's cut, same one I watched is 108 mm. minutes, about an hour and 48 minutes. It's the theatrical uh, release. There is an extended cut that was released, 148 minutes. It's got an extra hour of footage, an hour, which is insane. Have you ever seen this version? That's the one I saw this time around. And what did you think? Made Uh, some major differences. There were some major differences. um, And uh, I I don't even think I realized it until I'm looking at it. I'm watching it. I'm like, wait, this movie is two and a half hours. I don't remember it being that long, <laughs> um, but there were some little, some little key things that were happening in the storyline um, that, uh, that, that I didn't remember as a kid, but I just chalked it up to, you know, it's been so long since I've seen this movie, you so, know, just forget little bits and pieces. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about a few of them that we would have already seen you know, at this point that we've discussed. So the extended version also gives you more in depth with guys developing relationship with Faye. And it mm-hmm. says here, um, and his deteriorating relationship with Tina, as well as Tina's budding relationship with her dentist. So eventually guy and his girlfriend, Tina, uh, Charlie's Theron, they break up because Tina becomes, you know, head over heels in love with her dentist, Mr. Collins, Dr. Collins, <laughs> yeah. which is insane. Yeah. Um, and Guy kind of continues on the movie single. The band becomes bigger and bigger. They go on TV. They, they're in a their own movie, kind of like the Beach Boys were. Um, this is all going to be happening in what the course of a, about a year. Yeah, it was it was a small tour. They were still saying like in from from that song blowing up while it was on the charts. Um, right. Yeah, that's the. I think where it all fell apart was when they started trying to record a new song, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it had to be about a year or six months to a year. So Jimmy, the, the band, uh, front man, the one who's been writing all the songs up until this point, he wants to keep recording and he keeps pushing Mr. White. Like, when are we going to record? When are we going to record? Finally, Mr. White's like, go ahead. You know, I got some studio time you can record. Um, oh, but by the way, per your contract, you've got to do this, that, and the other thing. And the song's got to be like this, and you got to record this type of thing. And Jimmy basically says, you know, stick it up your ass. I'm not doing that and walks out and quits. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I said, I think that he, he knew what he was, what he was doing. And, and, you know, because the, the, um, them going on tour and having to, you know, obviously make the song blow up even bigger and, and strike while the iron's hot uh, is it, it's just how it goes. Right. But he wasn't giving them the answers uh, throughout, you know, throughout this time. And not only that, um, you know, I, I think he was purposefully like stringing them along, not saying like not telling them like, hey, this is what we're doing. He would tell them little things just to kind of make them happy. But it was just like building up the entire movie the frustration with jimmy and you can see it and right him wanting to get in there and it's just like but when are we doing this you know and and that's where i feel like um you know uh uh, that was his character mr white um yeah tom hanks yeah mr white that's where mr white was i think i think just kind of testing the waters because he knows you know like he knows how things are when it comes to a bunch of personalities and and how that's going to play out so you get the the impression that he's been through this before like this is mr white's job he he does this with bands um but that brings up a good question is mr white the antagonist here is he is he a bad guy in this movie hey come take a seat at the campfire You're not the only one who joins. I've got friends that come over sometimes, too. We talk about a ton of interesting things from geek culture. Then we cover some conspiracies or philosophical thoughts or monsters. You know, we talked about Bigfoot in one episode. It's a lot of fun, so come join me at the Campfire Chats, a DFAT entertainment podcast hosted on Spotify and other fine places you find podcasts. Do you remember Conan on Nintendo? 
Oh, how about Earthworm Jim on 64? That was my jam. Do you wish you still had it? Or maybe you have it and you're looking to clean out your collection and make some extra cash. Luckily, either way, we have the answer for you. Ridley's Gaming Realm. It's a one-stop shop for great gaming discussion, as well as a place for retro buying, selling, and trading without all the fees and drama of the other selling sites. They pride themselves on having over a year of zero reported scams. And you can find them on Facebook. Just search Ridley's Gaming Realm. That's R-I-D-L-E-Y-S. Or click on the link in the show description. And make sure you tell them DFAT sent you. I, I, I don't get that feeling of him necessarily being the bad guy. I think um I think Jimmy in the end was the one that was slowly becoming the bad guy, right? Because there uh the 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 bad guy really the antagonist throughout the movie have been like as they were going along in the way that they're treated are like the execs and 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 you know um and they're going through all of this they're being ignored when when he approached the the actual ceo of you know of yeah. place on records uh he blew up at him for just asking him a question so it's right. like, got, like mustard on the corner of his yeah, mouth yeah uh which by the way uh it's amazing that Playtone is actually um, Tom Hanks's uh, production company. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, so I think the antagonists, I think th they try to make it seem like it was the business itself, right? Because they were, they were coming from a small town. Um, they really glorified wanting to, to blow up. And when they started getting a little bit of the, of, you know, a t little taste of the fame, the popularity, what, what happens next, the jaded people that are, you know, that, that are already in the business that have been screwed over, uh, putting things in their ear. Like, uh, I forgot, uh, the artist's name, but he, but Jimmy was started to, you know, started to mingle with a few people. He started yeah. getting in with this, with this one woman. And that was the, that was the conversation at the end was just like, yeah, she told me this was going to happen. So it almost feels like in a way, maybe he was the antagonist, but I think it was just like, it, it made it seem like it was the business aspect of it. And as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I think here's the only reason why I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think it was the industry as a whole. Um, the only reason why I would say Mr. White, in my opinion, would be would be great to say the he's the antagonist is because if you look at him like like the genie, you know, like I'll give you what you wish for, but be careful what you wish for. And yeah. he doesn't necessarily do anything bad to them. He's actually very nice to them, very polite to them. But he introduces them to this demon that he knows is going to swallow them whole. I mean, like, yeah. like I said, he's been through this before. He's seen other bands do this. So I think early on, he identifies Guy as the the, the kid that he knows is going to survive. Mm -hmm. And he looks at Jimmy as the guy who's going to be eaten alive. That's why when Mr. White and Jimmy had this confrontation where Jimmy and, and uh, Liv Tyler's character, Faye, get into a fight and they break up. Jimmy right. then immediately goes into the studio and has the, the whole conversation with Mr. White basically tells him, you know, F off and he quits and he walks out and Mr. White and guy have this conversation where Mr. White's like, yeah, I mean, that's it. This is, this is what happens. You guys yeah. made us money and it even calls them the one hit wonders, which is great to play on their yeah. name. I thought that was very clever, but it's, it's, it, this is almost like a Shakespearean uh, drama in a lot of ways. It is. It was great. And um, and and that's why, like, even even with that scene, you're 100 percent correct. He knew who was who was going to who was going to make it, who wasn't going to make it. Um, and, and it made it made him seem like he was the antagonist when he had that conversation, because he's pretty much told him, hey, we own you. You signed that mm -hmm. contract. Right. But at the end. But 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 to me, it was Jimmy's ego and Jimmy wanting full control of everything that uh that and again the blow up right um where it just came on screen you know careful ladies he's engaged and then he blows up at Faye, right. making it seem like it's her fault and i should have left you back in you know in, in pittsburgh and like this whole uh you know you felt that with him the most the entire time he's just all about wanting this wanting mm -hmm. this life um, and it, and, and, and it definitely consumed him to the point where he couldn't see the benefits. He was only seeing the, 
the negative aspect of it. So I think uh, when it came to Mr. White, Mr. White matched his energy because right. he knew that that was going to happen. Um, so, so, but I, but I understand what you're saying. Like, you know, he can, he can be viewed as the, and, and I love that, that we're having this conversation because that could be left up to perspective. Absolutely. Cause to me, Jimmy was, you know, was the jerk in that, in that scene. And, and Jimmy was the one that brought that out of Mr. White, even though it could be even, you know, it could be worse that Mr. White knew that this was going to happen. And and he he just you know he just aligned with him on that, quite honestly. Yeah, that's it. Um, one of the one of the little side stories that happens is uh, about in the middle midway through the film, guy meets his his like idol, uh, a character by the name of Del Paxton. He's yeah, a jazz Del- musician. Gets okay. to talk to him and and has this great encounter thanks to the help of a uh, waitress at a at a nightclub who's played by Rita Wilson. That's Tom Hanks's wife, which I thought was great. Uh, Rita actually told Tom to cast Guy because Guy looked like a young Tom Hanks. So that was Uh, that was funny that she plays kind of the the flirty waitress. But um, but so the movie ends with Guy. He's in the studio. He's basically been been kicked out, and he's got you know maybe a couple hours to to play around with the equipment before they tell him to take a hike and go back home. So he just starts jamming out. He's just going to waste his last couple hours just jamming out. And Del Paxson hears him down the hall and comes in and, and wants to jam out with him. And I thought that was such a poetic end. This this film does one of my favorite things where they do like the um, kind of update after the movie. Like this is where this character wound up. You don't see that nowadays because every movie has to have a sequel. Mm-hmm. But back when sequels were not, you know, such a, a guarantee, they do these little updates on each character as how their life turned out. And it, it goes on to talk about how Guy becomes this jazz drummer, um, pretty well known, and actually works with Dell uh, for a little while. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that 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 is that is awesome, and and um, and I love when that happens, man, because I I like that old style of movies, right, where where the good guys get the life that they that they wanted, they deserved, right? Where now a lot of things come in end in controversy and and maybe he didn't. That's why we get so right. many sequels and we're trying to milk every little thing. But for me, I um that was one of the things that I enjoyed about this movie, man. We didn't need any more. We just we just needed that that, you know, to know that he that he that he ends up just as as good as we want him to. He ends up with, you know, the love of his life. They have four kids, I believe they said. Right. I love, um, uh, another one uh, who's um, uh, the the character by Steve Zahn, uh, Lenny. 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 Was, yeah, he's cool. He was one of my favorite characters, too. And to see, you know, like all of the little zingers that he had throughout the whole movie and, and how he ended up to, uh, you know, just went on a trip to Vegas with with the uh with the assistant or whatever she was <laughs> and married her and then it's just like yeah so he's now uh you know he's like a high school coach and he's currently single <laughs> 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 yeah that, those, uh, that was great you know, like there's so there are so many things in this movie that i just that i just really enjoyed I'm i'm really happy that that it was a movie that you've never seen so that you can experience it um yeah and, i mean uh, I- Obviously, I'd heard of the movie. You know, it's pretty big in pop culture, but no, I never, I never got the chance to just sit down and just watch it. Um, one, one of the other things I did want to touch on is in the extended cut, we have a couple other scenes um, that you don't get in the theatrical. Uh, it suggested that Tom Hanks's character, Mr. White, is not only gay but in a relationship with a man played by former NFL defensive lineman Howie Long, and this is in '96, so that's that's huge. Yeah. Um... It, that one that one was a funny scene i had to hit the guys up about it because um i didn't realize again uh that i was watching the director's cut right off the bat and and i was wondering i was like i don't remember this because it's such a it's it's such a subtle thing mm-hmm. that i can't remember if that made the theatrical cut or if it was a part of the director's cut but it was so subtle that i that i believed that it would have been in the in in the movie at the time mm-hmm. And I was just young, uh, 96. What, what would that have made me 13? Uh, so, so, you know, I was just young. So it just flew over my head, um, the, because it was such subtle dialogue where, you know, he, 
I, I don't know if you've seen the if you saw this. I, scene. I have not. I've not seen the direct the director's cut. So in this in this scene, it was right after he met Del Paxton for the first time, and Rita Wilson drops him off at at the hotel because he's he's obviously really drunk and right. um, and and uh, Mr. White was there to tell him, hey. Great, great news. Tomorrow you are going to be on on TV. And I wanted to tell you in person. And and Howie Long was standing there, um, uh, you know, against the car in a, in a suit. And the uh, the doorman tells him, like, because he because he looks angry uh, and he tells him something. Uh, he was like, yeah, I, I know you're a big guy, but you still can't park there or something. And then you never you don't know that he is with Mr. White. Right. And after he tells them all of this, you know, they, they have their interaction. He's walking back towards the car and guys following him because he's drunk and he gets back in the car and they're laughing. He's like, see, you know, like I just, you know, now we can go Mr. Grumpy face or whatever. Now we can mm-hmm. go our way back to where we're going to go. And they notice guys there and he's like, no, 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 no. You have to go back upstairs. And they both sit <laughs> down in the car. He's like, you go back upstairs. We are leaving. And Howie Long um, just leans over to him and says, maybe we can bring him with us. And 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 Tom Hanks starts laughing. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, he's like, go upstairs. But it was just that interaction and that look that they had was like, oh, OK, I get right. that. I get where this is going. Um, and that was it. And that's the only thing that 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 they did. They said and it was so subtle. But it would have it would have most Perfect. definitely just. Flew over my head right. as a thirteen-year-old. Because I mean, it's not it's not overly crazy, but for, I mean, for ninety-six, that's I mean, that's a little edgy. That's probably why they cut it. But yeah, um, I love it. One of the other big things is uh, rather than become a studio drummer on the recommendation of Del Paxson, Guy becomes a disc jockey for the jazz station KJZZ and the record and records a documentary series of interviews with legendary jazz musicians. That's that's quite a change, and I'm curious as to why they made that change. I, you know, I, I, I did see that. Um, I, I saw that scene and thought, man, is Guy the first podcaster? <laughs> 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 you know, a radio based podcast, because literally like the whole scene played out and it's just like, hey, maybe you could record your conversation with these legends and you can you guys can jam out and. And that's exactly what he did, uh, you know, and I so was like, which, oh, man. which ending do you like better? Um, I kind of like this one just because it, 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 it laid it out a little bit more, um, where, you know, not, not only, um, that they have a happy ending, but you have a clear thought of, okay, maybe he's not fully in the music industry, like, like how they made it out to be or how he, they made it, um, they made it seem like they were going to be, but he was in a place, he ended up in a place where he did exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to jam out with, with his idols in, in the jazz space, um, have conversations and just record them and interview people and meet people. Like that was the life that he wanted in the end. Right. But yeah, he would have had to have been in that exact place at that exact time to meet Del Paxson. I mean, it goes back to being very serendipitous. It's crazy. I love it. I love so, those things, man. So let's let's get into it then. I think I think I'm ready. I think after our conversation, I'm ready to give my judgment. Um, so we have a little a little uh, help here. We have what's called the three questions. Okay. These are questions that we've developed that hopefully will help us answer the overall question that we're trying to answer, which is, was this a good movie? Um, these are very no. scientific questions. They've been developed over years of, of countless studyings and researches. And, um, you know, we have a whole board of people that do that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, so this is as it pertains to 1996, that thing you do starring, directed by, written by, and actually some of the music was even by Tom Hanks. Oh, wow. Question number one, what was the message of the film and do you agree with it? You want me to answer this? Yes. Uh, 
what was the message of the film and do I agree with it? To me, the message of the film was follow your dreams. Uh, uh, let me, let me, I, I it's, uh, it's like right on. So it's like, follow your dreams, but you may not always get what you ask for. However, in the end, it, it's all, it's all for a reason. That's that's the message that I go that I got from it, right? Um, just just follow your heart, do everything to you, to the best of your abilities. But even when things go bad, that's still a part of the plan. So continue your path. Um, and if that is the message of the movie, I completely agree with it, man. I mean, you know, where are we sitting right now, right? It's like we 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 have the same passions uh we have the same um thoughts and everyone is possibly telling you and i that this is crazy that we do this <laughs> free and that we do this you know and and that we take so much time and and effort and like you know family members don't understand so yeah man i have to agree with that i have to agree with that message but also um <laughs> but also you know everything that that uh and I, i'm a big um I'm a big uh, uh, mindset type of person too, so I also agree with that. Not everything is going to go according to plan, but but everything is in the bigger plan. You know, it's in the bigger picture, right. and we have to roll punches. So I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that I kind of similar to you. I think the message of the film, like we talked about before, was very serendipitous. It's it's things happen for a reason. You know, trust mm -hmm. trust the system, and everything will be okay. And uh, you know, do I agree with it? Absolutely not. I think I mean, it'd be it'd be great. It'd be great in a perfect world, but life is a freaking bitch, man. Nothing works out, and you have good people who get horrible things, and and bad people who get great things. But I mean, again, it's it's nice to think, you know, it's 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 the idea of the American dream. It's nice to think mm -hmm. that if I do good, I'll get good, and those who do bad will get their comeuppance. But um, yeah, all right, question. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the at the end of the day, man, everything plays out the way that it should, and what we should do is, you know, is it, it, and it's not it's not easy, but what we should do is accept that this is just the way that it's supposed to play out and we have to move forward from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so question number two, how did the movie leave you feeling and do you think it was intentional? Um, it left me feeling on a good note. Um, it, it, knowing where everyone, you know, that everyone, no one died. <laughs> because nowadays every, you know at least three people would have been dead by the end um but uh no it, it it left me feeling good you know knowing that they had this wonderful experience it was all just like Faye said at the end none of this would have happened if it wasn't for you and um you know he got he got what he wanted even even jimmy ended up um in the music business you know still um, so it was still a very positive message, um, that left me personally feeling good. Um, and what was the second part of that? Do you think it was intentional? Do I think it was intentional? I think so. Well, I don't know, but it really depends on, uh, <laughs> probably, probably, probably not. Um, I think the overall feeling of the movie was, was a good feeling. So, and, and I think of things little bit outside of the box so to me it feels like it was intentional but um but to to i think your average person they probably would have saw that and thought like man it didn't it didn't really play out in the end and you know no i i think i think you're right i i think the you know you you leave the movie feeling hopeful and every like you said nobody died everybody wound up good you know even even jimmy like you said stays in the music industry and and still gets some part of his dream fulfilled so yeah, I think it makes you optimistic, and I think it was 100% intentional. I mean, like we said, Tom Hanks is a bit of a Boy Scout with him yeah. writing and directing this. I think I think he 100% was going for the the Shakespearean drama, but with the twist that everybody kind of does, you know, get positive at the end. So, uh, and then question number three: What is the most important sequence of the movie? Oh, um, the most important sequence of the movie. That is uh that is a very good question. I I don't um I don't know. I haven't thought about that part. Do you do you have a, a 
part that you think? A hundred percent. I, we, you know, we've asked this question uh, numerous times throughout season two, and I think this might even be a carryover question from season one. And I don't think there's ever been a movie that I could, I could single-handedly point to one scene and say that scene was the most important scene. And that's him changing the tempo of the song. I mean, without that, the, yeah. the rest it's it's literally the the first star that causes the stars to align so yeah, right. i think uh i think that's the most important sequence yeah no uh, a, a thousand percent um because you, you go through so many things and we just had such a long conversation about <laughs> this movie you you even forget of that 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 magical moment in the beginning when you know when they were expecting a really slow tempo and even <laughs> I love it. It's such a good part because he just starts going. And and even with Jimmy yelling like you're too fast, he just doesn't care. Right. He's going like pick it up. And and you see everybody just kind of like trying to match the tone. And the other guys are just like, I don't know what you're doing, but like it's working. Like, you know, so uh so yeah, you're right. My favorite part of that scene is Jimmy because he has this this great reaction. And for an actor, it's got to be extremely hard to play both of these at the same time because he's got the reaction of like, I'm pissed you're screwing up my song, mm -hmm. but I'm also very well aware that we're in the middle of a performance. So I've got to go. Like, I don't have a choice. I have to go along with it. And he, he, yep. he you can see those subtleties on his face. It's perfect. Oh, yeah. So, no, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, it's so, such a good scene. So that's it. That's the three questions. Um, this is distributed by 20th Century Fox. The budget for this movie is 26 million. Box office does 34. So it's a mild success, you know, by by late 90s standpoint. It premiered, it debuts at number three, so it doesn't go crazy. But this does become a huge hit later on on DVD. And I did a little bit of research to figure out exactly why that was. You know, when movies become cult classics, which is debatable um, definition is a movie that doesn't do great in the box office, but becomes huge later on on DVD or on, on VHS. And this movie is a cult classic. Doesn't do huge in the box office, but when it comes out on DVD, it sells like hotcakes. And the reason for that is because the, the actual DVD doesn't get released until 2007, nine years after the movie comes out. And the main reason for that is because this is one of the few movies that upon release decided to go with DIVX format. Now, for those of you who are not aware, this was the competing format to DVD at the time. We didn't always have DVD. When, it, when VHS transitioned to the next level, two different things came out of it. And one of them was DIVX and the other one was DVD. So they chose the DIVX format. Nobody bought it. DIVX goes away, DVD becomes the clear winner of the format, you know, war. And it's not until many years later where they admit defeat and release the movie on DVD in 2007. Wow. Yeah. So with and all that information, I've got to ask you, go ahead. What are, what are your thoughts? Do you, is this a good movie? Uh, of course it's a good movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm very biased by that. Uh, I I love the movie and um and yeah, I would have to say yes, it's a good movie. So going into this, um, I was fully prepared to say no. I, I thought I thought there's not enough drama. It barely held my attention. Um, I don't I don't know if this is a good movie. But after talking it over with you, I, I think my opinions changed. I think I'm now noticing the subtleties with, you know, Guy's character and Jimmy's character and Mr. White. And like I said, you know, this really was a Shakespearean drama. The idea that there wasn't a lot of conflict is really the beauty of it. That the stars aligned and this perfect story came out of it. And there really is a whole lot of emotion packed into this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think this was a good movie. I do. Hey, there we go. See, look at that. <laughs> look at that. Even even mid-conversation, we can change minds. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So um, one of my favorite games to play with my guests is a game called Guess That Tomato. So it's okay. pretty simple. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has two ratings for all their movies on there. One is the critic score and one is the audience score. So what oh, I'm going to do is I'm going to have you guess the audience score. <laughs> then I'm going to give you a couple hints and we'll see if you want to change your guess and then we'll see how you do. So on a scale of zero to a hundred, 
What do you think the audience rated that thing you do? Uh, I would have to say 86. 86. Okay. So here are the hints I'm going to give you. First, I'm going to give you the critic score. 59 critics rated this movie, and they gave it an average score of a 93. Wow. I'm also going to give you three movies that are within two points of this movie. So they should be very similarly rated to this movie. Movie number one, Spies in Disguise. A movie that will forever go down in history as having the greatest name of any single movie ever. Are you familiar with this movie? Is that the Will Smith movie? That is the Will Smith movie where he plays a spy who gets transformed into... (laughs) A pigeon. A pigeon. Yes. And the title of the movie is Spies in Disguise. (laughs) It's the greatest title of any movie ever. I love it. That's amazing. Movie number two, Captain Marvel. Finally an answer to the burning question on the mind of all Marvel fans. How did Nick Fury lose his eye? (laughs) Captain Marvel was, I don't know. Did you like, did you like Captain Marvel? It gets a lot of slack for being one of the the not great Marvel movies. I, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate Captain Marvel. I, I I accepted it for what it was. Uh, It was a filler movie for, or (laughs) introduction. An introduction movie uh, for a character that was going to play a much bigger role in in a bigger film. Which um, one did you like better, Captain Marvel or uh, Thor Two? Ooh, Thor Two. Yeah, I think I'd go with that too. I like Thor Two. It gets a lot of slack, but I liked it. I, I, initially, I, I remember not liking it a lot, and then I went through all of the movies again to you know to to get to Endgame, and and I thoroughly enjoyed it the second time around. You watched them all again? Yeah. How was, long did that take you? Uh, it took me weeks. I, I found a, a list on, on Instagram um, where it literally told me every single one in, you know, in theatrical release. Okay, uh, so you watched oh, them yet not chronologically? No, 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 no. I watched them. I watched them in the, thea- the the theatrical release version and not obviously, like, not so close together. It was just like, a, you know, kind of... The, the release was if you watch one of these movies a day from this point on up to end game, you will be caught up. And I took that challenge. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. It's like 23 days of movies. Yeah. That's Why awesome. Not? Was Why it amazing? Not? It was great. It was great. And like I said, it, um, you know, it gave me a chance to watch a few of those movies that, that maybe I only saw once, once or twice. Um, like Thor too, I appreciated it so much more the second time around. Um, and, and now I don't give it as much shit as I used to. That's great. I'm I'm actually planning to do the same thing. My, my boys um, are young, they're six and four. So they're Mm. too young for the Marvel movies, but when they're old enough and and I can watch it with them, I want to sit down and just watch them all. Like, like you said, one a day for like a month. Yeah, why not? My kids, my kids are starting to get to that point. Uh, my my five year old, he's turning five. Uh, he's not quite there. So once he gets there, we're gonna we're gonna start movie nights. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> um, okay, and then movie number three is Split, a movie that truly shows the amazing wonder of James McAvoy acting despite having M Night Shyamalan as a director. James McAvoy, in my opinion, one of the greatest actors of our generation. I think that mm-hmm. man is phenomenal. M Night Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah. We're oh not my gonna, god! I'm not <laughs> So split, split has an amazing story behind it. M. Night Shyamalan actually mortgaged his home to make that movie because nobody would fund him. Because I mean, this this guy goes from huge blockbusters to to just shit overnight, yep. and uh, ends up having to to do that to fund his own movie. So crazy. Um, all right. So with those hints, do you want to change your guess? You you guessed eighty six. Do you want to change it? With those hints, um, my gut is telling me to move to 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 move down because be, simply because of spies uh, in disguise. You said it was spies in disguise. <laughs> it was spies Captain, in disguise. Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel and, and split uh, and split. Split. I really enjoyed Captain Marvel. Got a lot of crap from 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 fans. 
Um, so I want to move down, but I'm going to stick to my guns, man. I like, I like my 86, yeah. All right, the actual audience rating. Over 100,000 audience members rated this movie and gave it an average score of... Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. See, I, I said it's probably in the seventies. <laughs> so not not bad. I mean, seventy-eight's a pretty not good rating. Not bad at all. And I think, like I said, I think the movie was good. I could I understand why it's a cult classic. Um, I do have a lot of respect for it. Um, didn't knock my socks off, but but at the end of the day, it, it is something I would recommend people watch. Yeah, it was, it was such a great movie. I'm glad I'm glad that I wasn't sure if you you had seen it or not, but uh, I'm glad that you got the opportunity to watch it and. Um, and that we actually talked about it today. It was so good. So yeah, good. Thank, even, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. I wanted to pick something that was, um, that was special to me. I, I went with, I was trying to also go with, I was thinking that's why, like, it took me a while to think of a movie because I'm like, do I want to go with a movie that I know is shit? Do I, do I want to go with a movie that I, that I have never seen before, but we're going to give this a shot. Do I want to go with a movie that I think is just fantastic? Um, and, and for some reason, and, um, I was going to go with Lord of War, but, uh, because I, because there's mixed reviews on that. Uh, but have you that, ever seen it? I have. I, ha- I, I, I'm a person that enjoys that movie. So, okay. Oh. So here's what I want to do. Here's <laughs> what I want to propose. Um, so w- we only have another episode or two before season three, en- or excuse me, season two ends. I got a lot of big ideas for season three. Um, I would love to have you back on. I won't, I'm not going to lock you into Lord of War right now. I will, <laughs> su- I will tell you that I have some pretty interesting views on that movie, but um, right. you pick whatever you want. One of the things I'm toying around with, and, and this is actually going to be the first time I mention it. I'm not going to mention it again until season three. The fans will have to hear, you know, what, what I decided, but I'm thinking about challenging the guests in season three to try to make my top 10. So I don't know if you're aware of this. I have a top 10 list but I had to limit it to only the movies that I've covered on the podcast. So I, I think right now we're at like 30 something movies. I had to pick a top 10 at this point, getting the top 10 isn't that hard because there's only 30 something movies. Right. But right, I want right. to challenge my guests season three, try to get in the top 10. Um, but just tinker around on that. We could talk about that later off air. Well, uh, this right now, Joaquin, tell the, tell the audience if they want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Yes. So, uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram, uh, at what's up walk, uh, is W U S S U P underscore J U A C. Um, and that is a, something that, uh, that is said on my podcast. I am, uh, one of three members of insensitive culture also on the DFAT network. Uh, and, um, yeah. And you can reach me on, on Facebook under my name, Joaquin A. Figueroa, um, or come to my website, asylumstudios.live. Um, but yeah, that's it. Guys, check them out. Insensitive Culture is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And I and I, I swear that between you guys and, and Rocco and Dan over at Critical Mass, you probably think I'm blowing smoke. I, <laughs> I listen to you guys all the time. I think you're hilarious. If you're not listening to them, download them. I, I mean, literally stitches in the side every time I listen. It's awesome. Thank you so much for your content. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah. And to, and to those of you that come over, just know, man, we, we don't hold anything back. Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're very raw and opinionated and, uh, and we love to talk about movies, what if scenarios, just, and a lot of side tangents, but it's always a good time. It's always fun. You could catch us all oh, that. That's it uh, as well. We, uh, we do have full episodes of insensitive culture on YouTube, so you can subscribe to our podcast on any platform and uh, full videos on YouTube. Joaquin, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, bro. You've got Gutsy Media Podcast. Leave a message about any movies you've covered, and maybe we'll add to the show. Thanks. Hey, it's Tim Reynolds calling you from New Jersey. Long-time listener, first-time caller. 
I just got to say, that thing you do, one of my favorite movies of all time, very underrated Tom Hanks movie. Out of all his movies, I think it's the most underrated. It is classic in so many ways. It's got a great, wholesome storyline. You can watch it with the kids. You can watch it by yourself. Liv Tyler, that tall, gorgeous, dark-haired, blue-eyed woman, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's got other characters along the way. It's really the Dream Girls, the white boy version. Uh, classic movie. Love it very much. Um, it's got everything you need in a movie. All right.